Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. another episode of my independence report it is thursday february 11 2021 it's a great day to be here it's actually it's a great day to be alive so you know and as um, the guests this hour will attest that getting up in the morning is a good thing if you can if you can get up that far that's that's terrific um we have a wonderful author with us today and we're going to spend the entire hour talking to stephen murray and uh, he's written four books two of them one of them he sent to me and i'm in in the middle of it it's 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 a great read it's called the chapter of eternal love and we're going to talk about that and his newest book and also all the things that he's done in life so with that i'd like to welcome uh stephen murray to the uh, podcast stephen how are you thank you kevin just fine and thank you for inviting me on your program it's a pleasure to be with you i just love the premise of it it's 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 a great you know I've been doing this trying to do this for twenty years or so and uh, it's it's a really I think it's very important that we all get along and that we work together and that we work to get rid of hate division and fear and and uh, all of that and and you do that you your 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 writings are real positive you've you've had quite the life tell us a little bit about about I know you uh, grew up in England. Uh, at least for a little while, and then you went uh, um, to other places. So tell us about, about how you grew up and, and where you grew up and all that. Yes, I, I was actually born in England, but I didn't spend too long there. As, as I was only seven years old when our family moved to the heart of Africa, to what was then southern Rhodesia. It's now Zimbabwe. Um and of course, that was back when not that much was known about Africa, and we certainly didn't have the communications that we have today. And I think my parents even had to look it up on the map to find out where it was. Uh, but it, it was certainly a different life. And I, we moved around quite a bit in, uh, within Southern Africa, not only Rhodesia, but what was then Basutland, and I was shipped off to boarding school in South Africa. Um, so it was certainly a different life, and I then went back to England and spent a few years there and traveled around Europe and ultimately got to come to America and never looked back. It's been a wonderful journey, seen a lot of the world. What was it that inspired your parents to say, I don't know, let's go to Africa? I don't, I don't really know. Um, you know, unfortunately, both my parents have passed, and a few years ago, my sister who lives, still lives in South Africa, and my brother who lives in who lived in Australia, myself, we were talking about how we got there, and we all seemed to have different opinions as to <laughs> how the family came to go. But I, I think it was, you know, at the time the British government was encouraging people to go to the colonies, and, uh, you know, it wasn't too long after World War II, and my parents were pretty young, and um, I think it just seemed a good opportunity. And yep. For those of you that are a little younger, 
Um, at one time, the British Empire controlled most of Africa and 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 India and a lot of they they the British Empire was a was a was a big deal back then worldwide and uh, um, and so that's that's the connection that kind of you made or your family made to go there because that was a British colony at the time, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, absolutely, it was, and um, so was South Africa at the time. Yeah, uh, they, they were all, as you rightly stated, most of Africa was uh, run by Britain. Now, of course, they most of them still recognise the monarchy as their sovereign, but they're independent, you know, countries now. That's kind of cool because you can go to Africa and you can actually speak English in a lot of places. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, you know, it's not as distant as it might seem to be, although they have got, like, these huge snakes and things. So that's probably a good reason for me to stay away. But in any event, uh, so you stayed there for a while, and then you went back to back to England with, I think you told me before that you went back to England with, like, 500 bucks in your pocket or something. Oh, not even that. No. <laughs> when I went to England, um, I, I think I was about 18, I think, and... Then I only had about 50 bucks in my pocket. But I did have my grandparents to stay with. But, you know, when you're young, you, you tend to do things without thinking. You know, fools rush in where wise men fear to tread. And you're young and you don't have that wisdom that hopefully we've got later on. Um, but it's just as well we don't have that wisdom when we're younger because we probably wouldn't do half the things that we get to do. And uh, but then when I came to America, yes, I came to America with 500 bucks and, and two suitcases, and that was it. <laughs> now, you, when you came to America, what was your uh, uh, motivation for coming to America? I think I'd always wanted to come to America. I think America was, has it's always been like a beacon of hope and a land of opportunity and uh to me, it always has been and probably always will be. Um, and as much as I enjoyed life in London, I did have a good life there. And I loved all the culture, all the theatre. And they say, if you tire of London, you tire of life. And I think that's absolutely true. I never tired of life in London, but I did get tired of the taxes and that weather. I mean, having grown up in sunny southern africa dealing with that weather in london was just horrendous and i got the offer of a job in in california in los angeles and just cast caution to the wind and thought hey you know what an opportunity it might not come come around again and so i just sort of packed up and came and let the chips fall where they may now, this might not be a big deal to you, but just for someone like me, it kind of is. Uh, do you remember the years that you were in England? Which, which Was it the 60s? Yeah, I, I went to England. It was in 1960, uh, 1968, and I was there till 1976. I went to November 1968, right in the middle of the winter, and, and I left in, in November... 1976, I came over the week after President Carter was elected. Oh, wow. Now, now the, the reason I bring that up is because the 60s, as you know, are part of the British invasion and the Beatles and the Who and the, and the Rolling Stones. And you were in, in London, which was the hub for um, British rock and roll at that time. 
um and was a real big thing did you did you have the opportunity to meet any of those guys or did you go to any of their concerts um i, I couldn't you know then i was so young and just barely scraping by it was tough to to get by in england or scraping by but i did try and go once a month and um go to go to a concert of some form and pay a minimal amount and sit up in the guards of these theaters or concert halls and what have you. Um, I didn't actually get to go to any Beatles concerts, but I did go to a couple of concerts where, um, you know, there were multiple artists appearing, you know, right. groups like the Kinks and things like that. I've seen a lot more of them, believe it or not, since I've lived in America and they're coming back to Las Vegas. But oh, that's um, good. <laughs> yes, I think, the only one that um, I really remember actually meeting and seeing was Petula Clark, who's always been my favorite from when I was a child. And um, she was two. in England a lot doing um, television shows and things like that. And I used to get to go to quite a few of those TV recordings. Yep, she watched, she, she, she uh, uh, had the song Downtown. That, uh, yes, that was one of them. Yes. One of whatever big hits, and yes. at least it was big in the United States. Yes. Uh, so, so you ended up going to L.A., and uh, because this is the land of opportunity, you went to L.A. and you started a uh, software company. A few years later, yes, I, I did come over to a job, and I enjoyed it, and uh, it was great, but then it was just time to make some changes, and... Um, I started working for a little bit independently and I don't know, clients just sort of found me out and I found that I was running my own business all of a sudden and I hadn't really planned on doing it. It just worked out that way. Um, and I've had it ever since and it's been a, it's been a great, great journey. It wasn't easy coming to America. I, I have to confess it, despite the fact we speak the same language, there's in the business world it's very different and there's a lot of different terminology in business and um it took some quite some adjustment but i i reveled in it, it all i just got swept away and uh there's something about life in california too i, I don't know now i've moved away but certainly when i went there there was very much a can-do attitude people just stumbled across a product and they just start marketing it and they didn't do any research or uh, have any bookkeeping or accounting knowledge they just start up and and sell a product and away they go and they made things happen um it was it was just a very can-do attitude it's like nobody then knew the word no <laughs> well that's good because you know uh we've we've always considered ourselves uh, as Americans to be optimistic and can do and can make stuff happen. At least it used to be it used to be that way more than it is today, which I'm, I would really like to see us get back to a little bit more of that kind of positive can do attitude and, and working together for stuff. So you started a software company and then uh, you, you had the desire to move to Vegas because you're a big gambler. Is that right? <laughs> Well, <laughs> the Las Vegas casinos probably won't want to hear me say this, but I haven't put a nickel in the slot machine since I've been here. <laughs> and that will have been almost 
uh, this year it'll be 18 years in May. Um, oddly enough, when I lived in California, I used to come up here periodically for weekends and go and see a couple of shows and stay in a hotel and have a nice little flutter on the slot machines or the blackjack table or um, uh, uh, not back robots. I've forgotten the word now, the, the one where they roll the dice around there. Oh, um, the uh, no. Um, uh, I, I Gosh, it's just gone right out of my mind. Um, but anyway, uh, yes, I used to like to come up and have a little bit of a flutter and, and what have you. And go back, and sometimes I'd win, sometimes I'd lose. But it was all fun. And since I've been up here, they don't, you know, the hotels don't get that glamorous and fancy and um, exuberant by giving their money away. So, and you've just got to drive by and see the homeless in the street, you know. Exactly. Uh, to realize that some people have lost their lives, and I've worked too damn hard to throw it all away. You know? Well, I, I some people call it gambling. I call it giving because that's all I do is give away my money. And <laughs> it, it doesn't take very long for me to give away a bunch of it. And then it's, then it's like, okay, how many hours am I going to have to work to make up what I just lost? <laughs> so it's, it's like who, who I don't, I don't play in, at all. So in any event, so you've been living in Vegas now for uh, 18 years. What, when did you decide that you wanted to become an author and start writing books? Um, it was probably about five or six years after I'd moved here, Kevin. Uh, I And it was, again, just an accident. Uh, I'd like to take credit to say a lot of the decisions I made in my life were sound and wise ones, but it was, they were more serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I came to write. It was just accidental. I was... I was out having, I'd done my uh, shopping one Saturday morning and went to have lunch in a little coffee shop. And I was sitting there and the waitress that came and served me, she was such a bouncy, effervescent individual. She's a young African-American lady and I could hear some of the customers complain their coffee was cold and this wasn't right and that wasn't right. She was saying, I'm sorry, I'll just take care of that. And she was just... It just all went right over her head. She didn't wasn't phased by it at all. And I thought, I wonder what she's got to be so happy about. You know, where did she get this attitude from that, that was so positive? And I suddenly started thinking at how different her life had to have been from mine and how it would be difficult to relate. And then I suddenly thought of all the places I'd been to. And I thought, you know what? I really need to start putting all these thoughts together, these different cultures from these different countries and what my observations were. And I went home that afternoon. I started outlining the book. And uh, I worked on it for a couple of years and discovered a real joy of writing. And, and it just took me in a whole new direction as far as life goes. It, it's, it's been a wonderful journey. Well, and, and you've been um, received lots of awards for. Now, was the um, um, Chapel of Eternal Life, was that the first book? Chapel of Eternal Love? Yes, uh, it, it was the first book. Um, it's the first book that got published. I hadn't intended to publish it. I was told that I need to write for women because they're the ones that buy the books and read them. And I thought, I don't know anything about women's fiction. But... 
I, I, I liked the idea of the challenge. I thought, I'm going to see if I can do it. So I did. I sat down and I wrote it, and I had a lot of help from a uh, women in critique group that I'm in, and they steer me on the straight and narrow when it comes to what women are interested in. I learned a lot writing that book, I've got to tell you. Um, but I never intended to publish it, and I wrote the murder mystery book and after that, and took that to get published and I was told no put the brakes on that you know you've got to get your chapel of eternal love about the fictional Las Vegas wedding chapel out there and I was totally taken aback because I I'd never really considered it for publishing but I sent the the gentleman a couple of chapters and he said absolutely go ahead with this and it's taken me down a whole different road it even spawned the sequel you know people want even though it's fiction People want to know what happened to couples after they left the Chapel of Eternal Love, so I had to come up with a sequel <laughs> that takes place five years down the road and where all the couples' lives have taken them. You know, this uh, in in reading the book, and you, by the way, you are a gifted author. You can you can really put you into the situation that these folks are in, and you can uh, empathize with them and understand where they're coming from. And it really is it really is a joy to read. Um, but it also, it seems to me, would make a great television series or a or some kind of a movie. That that you know, of the it seemed, has anybody approached you about any of that? No, but I have to tell you, Kevin, I've never missed the opportunity to say that it's been my dream for it to appear on like a Hallmark television miniseries, um, because of course it could be followed up with a sequel. Um, but it's very tough. Uh, but I, that, that's my dream. And if it happens, it's great. If it's, if it doesn't, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, I, I still enjoy going out marketing the book. I enjoy doing book signings. I enjoy being on guests on a program like yours, where you have this exchange of ideas and you get people's feedbacks and things like that. It's, it's just a real joy. Well, I, I'm really glad that, uh, and by the way, I don't believe in serendipity. I believe that everything is, is, uh, has a design to it and it's, and it's, there's no coincidences. It is all by, you know, and you've, you've earned everything in your life that you've had and you've had the wonderful experiences. And I understand that you've been to, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 different countries. You've seen 40 different, uh, yeah, that's correct. Yes. So you you've you've been around, as it were, and so you've had the opportunity to see uh, life in in a lot of different uh, societies and different styles and and ways of living and stuff. So th you are the perfect person to write a book like this because the uh, chapter of eternal love is about a chap uh, chapel. Uh, I just said chapter, the chapel of eternal love. And it's about a chapel that was uh, created um, years ago, and uh, the, a man had a vision, and he and he created it. And and people have been going there forever to get married in Vegas. I see probably Britney Spears was there at one point, or two, or three. Um, but uh, it, it's and your you tell stories of what couples do when they prior to coming and uh, their circumstances and then the chapel and the whole thing it really is a good read it, it, it really is a lot of fun and I and I thank you for it thank you Kevin it, 
the the intent is that it will be a fun and easy read and hopefully an uplifting read. Yes, there are a couple of chapters where things don't quite work out and they have somewhat sad endings, um, but life is like that, unfortunately. Um, but even in those sad chapters, uh, hopefully that there was something, uh, a little bit of an upbeat ending exactly. in a way. Um, that was the intent that people would go away and because we do all fall in love for different reasons, you know, love doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. It just doesn't. And that was the intent to find different couples. And of course it's all imagination. It's all fiction. Well, to my knowledge it is. I dare say some of these people could say, Hey, that's my story. Who knows? Yep. Um, but it was written as as a fiction with fictional names and it's all all imagination the chapel itself is fiction um but it was a it was a fun experience and well you know, what they, you know what they say what happens in vegas stays in vegas and uh, <laughs> and so there are I'm sure that there are lots and lots of people because there are chapels just like this in vegas where you can go and uh, on, you know, and they're open all night. I saw when I was down there, I saw some 24 hour chapels so that you can go um, drink and carouse until five o'clock in the morning and then uh, drag your, your rear end over there and get married and then <laughs> and stuff. So, you know, it does happen in Vegas all the time. Well, it doesn't. And what you say is absolutely true. Um, I didn't do. I probably should have done the, some more research on the book, but I really didn't want to be tainted. Um, I wanted to just use my own imagination and not sort of be sidetracked by something I'd seen or witnessed. I know they have these drive-through wedding chapels that are like McDonald's. You go through and you pass over the license and uh, blip, blip, and voila, you know, you come back and you you got your certificate. Um, but I didn't want to be influenced by experiences of those. And I, I made a specific point of not even interviewing people that I knew had been married or renewed their vows in a wedding chapel. I just wanted to be total 100% imagination. And that's what it was. You've got a fine imagination, I must say. <laughs> and, and that book did very, very well. And it took first place in some... Uh, different uh, competitions and it's got it's on amazon it's a five-star read and it's got wonderful reviews which caused you to then turn around and write the second book now did that come next or did the uh did it was there one in between well as i mentioned i i planned to get my murder mystery book that was what i intended to get done uh published first but was told to do the chapel book and I thought, well, let me hold off publishing another book until I get this, the chapel book fully marketed and, you know, out there. And then I'll go and get the murder mystery published. But, you know, the readers tell you what they want and what they like and what they don't like too. And I started getting emails and calls and from people that I knew saying, well, you know, what happened to this couple and what happened to that couple? And, when's the sequel coming out? Which was a surprise to me because this is all fiction. And the premise of the story was, why do people come to Las Vegas to get married? We're known as the Sin City of the world, and yet 
we're the marriage capital of the world. I mean, you talk about the dichotomy there, um, a very strange one. And so I don't think people would be that interested in what happened to the couples afterwards. But I guess somehow the stories resonated with people. And um, so I stopped what I was doing and then came up with a sequel called Return to the Chapel of Eternal Love. And that was fun because I'd never planned on there being up follow-up stories and then had to scratch my brain, as you can see, um, <laughs> um, and come up with appropriate stories that would be interesting and entertaining and keep it in a light vein and an uplifting tone, you know, both both books. Well, see, and that, that uh, just gives you and the audience a real clear understanding of you created characters that were so believable and so real that people started to feel like they knew them and they were part of them and they wanted to follow them and they wanted to see what happened next because they get married and then and then what and because they they were invested in the characters and that that that's a fine writer right there who can do that well thank you for saying that kevin and it, I, I have to confess it wasn't easy, you know, writing for women and <laughs> getting in the minds of, you know, the, these are wedding couples. And I've said before, I don't know if ever you remember the movie Sybil, you know, the about the story with the girl with the multiple personalities. Oh, yeah. I felt I had all these multiple personalities drifting around in my body while I was writing this book and trying to keep all the characters straight. And it was... It was tough getting into the minds of some of the men. It was very tough. It was even tougher to get inside of the minds of the women and and try and develop their characters and their and get their emotions out there because obviously when you're writing about love, you are writing about emotion. And um, but that's what makes it fun and a challenge. And if it's not a challenge, then it can't be fun, you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Now I wanted to ask you because. I am not a writer. I can speak a little bit. I'm, English apparently is my second language, but I'm working on that. Um, and and uh, But writing has been something that has eluded me because I'll sit down and start writing something and it doesn't, and after a page or two, it doesn't make any sense anymore. And, but you write, and uh, when you, well, when you do write, do you assemble the characters and come up with like a uh, outline of what each character is and then place them into a situation and then see how they interact with each? How, what's the process for you? How does it work? Well, I'm sure it's it's different for everybody. I, I come up with a um, a basic outline. For example, my last book is about three women that um, they work for an exclusive escort agency in Las Vegas, and they decide to kill off the guy that runs it. Um, the actual inspiration, well, because he treats them like dirt, and you know these are three very classy, sophisticated, elegant ladies, and um, and I get the inspiration for a book, and the inspiration for this one came from a chapter in the Chapel of Eternal Love, and you may have got there, you may not have, but it's a lady that actually runs an escort agency, and I'll give away one of the stories here, and um, she makes the mistake of falling in love with one of her clients who's not going to leave his wife and kids, and 
but finally after years he promises that once the kids are grown and after they've come out of college he'll divorce his wife and they'll get married and and the it doesn't work out quite well and the number of women that wrote to me and in emails and said what happened to emmy what happened to emmy and they really cared about her even though she probably was sleeping with their husbands um and i thought <laughs> i thought let me take the story a little bit further and let me put three escorts together so that's where the idea of the book came from and I then had to come up with three different personalities for the ladies, each of the ladies, and make them distinct. And so I worked on their characters. But I then, you know, came up with the beginning of the story, how how they all met and how they worked for this gentleman. And I knew how it was going to end. You know, it's like if you're going to Disneyland, you don't just set out and go there. You look at you say, this is where I want to go. And then you go and look and figure out how you're going to get there. You know, the route that's going to take you. And that's what I did. And um, as I started writing, the characters become more part of you in a way. that They're still developing as you're writing. And I find specifically with dialogue, after a while, the characters do take over. And I'm typing away at the keyboard. And it's like a little voice pops inside the head and says, I would never say that. This is what I would say. And I've got a backspace all the way along the keyboard and retype it in the light of, you know, the little voice. I know it sounds silly, but that's literally how it is. And it's the only way I can keep the characters straight. And Did you, did you ever see the movie uh, 9 to 5? No, I didn't. I'm familiar with it, but no, I never did see it. See that 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 particular story, and we'll talk about that one in just a second. But that particular story s- strikes me as being a a little bit more mature nine to five, because in in that movie that was three three gals and a a boss that was um um not not very nice, and it was Dolly Parton and and um, um, Lily Trump and uh, no um it was uh, Dolly Parton um um. And oh, Jane Fonda was the third one. And there you go. Yeah, this, but this goes back, you know, that that goes back to like the seventies and stuff. So this is that uh, you've got. So so far, we've we've decided here today that you have two books that should be movies, at least. Um, and uh, and so that one, would, the, the third, and which is the name of the book that's just out is is that's discreetly yours. Yes, and how long has that been out now? That came out in um, July of 2019, and it was doing pretty well, of course, until last year's affected every every one of us. You know, there's haven't been able to do any book signings or go and speak at any events or anything like that. So it's it's slowed down a little bit, but you know, it'll get back on track. And um, I, I do find that doing book signings or speaking engagements. Specifically at senior centers, my book seems to do, do very well there. Surprisingly enough, even discreetly yours, I'll go and talk about all four of my books. And I always think they're not going to like discreetly yours, but I'm amazed at the number of <laughs> seniors that, that go for the discreetly yours and say, I want to read that one. But, you know, all, all four of the books, even discreetly yours, you, you could give it to your grandmother as a gift. She could read it. There's no 
excessive graphic sex in it. There's no expletives in it. They're just fun reads, despite the subject matter. Well, that's 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 terrific, and it's it's great. How do you, since we are in the time of COVID, and you and I both kind of tend to fall into the the category of we probably shouldn't be going out there and doing stuff because uh, we're we're a little older and stuff. Um, how how are you handling the uh, uh, COVID mess? Well, um, it's very restrictive, of course, but I I try and follow the 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 guidelines. You know, I do wear my mask when I go out, of course, and. Um, for the last year, I did, a, uh, unfortunately, uh, last year was spent a lot of during um, the COVID of caregiving for a very senior relative of, of the father of my business partner. And I was doing caregiving there every day. And they were very strict. The only reason they would allow us in to see him was provided we did not go out to restaurants and go to parties or to people's homes. So. Um, and we honored that commitment. So I didn't go anywhere for many months and it is tough. Um, but last night I did go, there was a murder mystery dinner here in Las Vegas at one of the restaurants, but they have 25% capacity, seating capacity. So everyone's seated very far away and the cast in the play, they all had their masks on, um, and we started going out a little bit more. It's It's been tough, but a lot of people have it a lot worse. We've got to put things in perspective. And well, we're, we're, we're very lucky if you're, if you're still healthy after all that we've been through. So, so many people yeah. have gotten yes. sick and died. So if you're yeah. still doing well, that's, 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 you're one of the chosen one. That's really good. Well, and so, um, is there another book in you? I'm currently writing, yes, I've decided to do something totally different again, um, again, because I just like the challenge. Um, and it's a real mushy Christmas story. It's, this is a classic Hallmark mushy Christmas story. Um, and it's fun. I, I'm enjoying writing it. And it, it's not going to be a complete uh, novel. It'll be a novella. It'll be a short, shortish book. Um, but I'm enjoying writing it, and it's going to be like all of the other books. They're all very much character-driven. I, I feel very strongly about characters and their personalities and the foibles and the challenges in their lives, the the warm, warm parts of their life and the sadness in their life. And I just like developing all different characters. And so the, this one will be no different. It's about some people stranded in the town just before Christmas. They're stranded there for some reason or another, and they've all got issues that they've got to deal with and how these few days in this little village um, turns out to be such life-altering experiences for all of them. And it's it's fun. I'm enjoying it. Now, when you, when you talk about character development, are these characters that you're developing, or do they come from actual people that you've met in the past? Or are no. they... No, they, they don't. They are literally, no, in, in many ways, I wish I could say that I knew some of the people with, with these exciting lives. <laughs> um, but no, they are literally all imagination. I can't say that any of the characters in any of my books are based on anybody that I know. I can't say, 
oh, um, you know, indiscreetly yours, I can't say that Goldie, Ruben, Ruby or Settlement based on anybody I know at all. It's, it's just all figments of the imagination and um, because that's the fun process. It's, it's the creative side. It's trying to get in touch with all the, the, those creative juices that are, I think we all have. It's just whether we find time to accept, um, explore them. Now, when you were a kid, were you one of those that would uh, sit and play by yourself and have yes. like army men and, and and come up with stories and 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 creative ways of doing stuff and you used your imagination a lot when you were a kid? Um, well, it was very different when, when I was a kid, uh, Kevin. Grow, certainly, growing up in Africa, you know, when we first went to Africa, they didn't even have TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even when it did come out, it was one channel. It wasn't the 400 channels that you've got now. And, of course, we certainly didn't have things like cell phones and all of that stuff. So we used to play a lot of board games when we were kids and card games. You know, we used to play Monopoly a lot and and Clue, the game Clue, and and Canasta and, and things like that and chess, you know. We used to play a lot of those board games. But yes, I did play a lot by myself as a child. Yes, I was wasn't a big social animal animal at all. I'd first sit at home and daydream. We used to daydream hot. <laughs> you know, I, I I enjoy talking to a man um, that is because you were born. My guess is sometime. Shortly before World War Two, would that be an accurate? Before term? World War Two, before World War Two started, yeah, or was it after World War Two started? Well, World, World War Two was in nineteen thirty nine. That's when that started. Well, in in, in that would put me as eighty one. No, not eighty one. <laughs> wow, you came up with that fast. And well, no, <laughs> no, I guess you would. That would be so. So, but you were born slightly post World War Two. Yeah, II. I, I was born. A few years after World War Two, yes. But yeah. as I like to as I like to reminisce about the past, your the time that you've been alive has seen more changes to our planet than and and to the human condition than at any time in the history of humanity. Um, from the time you were born and through uh, the fifties and. Uh, in our world, the Korean War, what happened in the fifties, the sixties, the Tommy, the, the the invention of so many wonderful things. Um, the jet engine was was brand new when when you were you were born, and 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 planes, and and uh, and and travel, and all that kind of stuff. It, it's changed so much, and it, well, like you said, at one time there was one TV channel. For yes. me. There were there were five um, um, when when I was growing up, and uh, but but VCRs weren't there, tape players weren't there. We had AM, FM radio, and, and FM wasn't even very big back then. It was all AM radio, and that's all we really had. Um, so it's it's changed a lot. Have you? Does it, it does it make you um, think about all of the changes? Has it has it is it kind of a whirlwind thing of everything that's changed and because now people have got computers that they carry around with them that are more powerful than the computers that were at NASA in the 60s. 
Yeah, well, you're absolutely right on all, all points. And you, you mentioned jet travel. No, when my father went to Africa to fly from London to Salisbury, it was three days flying <laughs> back then. You wow. know, and now you can fly around the world in less than 24 hours. And my mother followed three months later. My dad went ahead to get things settled. And we followed later by cruise ship. And we left Southampton in England and sailed to Cape Town. And then it was a couple of days on a steam train, no less, all the way up through the South African Kalahari Desert through to Salisbury. Well, now, you know, those steam trains are a thing of the past. You just see them in the, the old Western movies on TV, you know, on the the the, the Western uh, television channels. Um, but all, all through board, when I was at boarding school, we used to take those steam trains back and forth to boarding school. None of this luxury stuff that they have now. And when I started in computers, I mean, well, they didn't have things like megabytes. I don't don't even think the words were invented back then. You know, they were more like uh, just counter machines. And I can still remember when the punch cards came out and the punch paper tape and all that big wide green bar paper. Um, and now, you know, people who ever thought that we, we'd have PCs in our home and certainly in my lifetime where we can be communicating like we are now. Yeah, the internet yeah. wasn't something that you would even that. Well, <clears throat> it, it's only what twenty years old, twenty five years old. The internet and uh, um, yeah, look, well, look, but look how far we've come. Uh, you know, my business partner, myself, we still have our computer business, and we have a client in in Belgium, and we have another one in Australia. And if they call up with a problem, I just go tap on the computer. I'm I'm right into their computer system thousands of miles across the globe and they're guiding me through what they want changed and things like that. It's and I can remember living in London and wanting to call my parents in, South, in uh, Rhodesia on their silver wedding anniversary. And I had to go down to the post office and give the equivalent of a $5 deposit and go back to the place where I was living. And I'd sit by the public telephone and then they called me and they said, we're going to connect you. And they connect me to Paris, and then it was connected to Rome, and then it was connected to somewhere in Northern Africa, and then to Nairobi, and all this stuff. And it was a three-minute phone call, and zap, I was cut off, and that was $5. Well, now you can dial around the world anytime on your computer and be chatting to somebody for hours on end for almost next to nothing. Yes, it's a whole different world, but... Well, remember, $5 back then was really $5. As, you know, <laughs> For me, it was like a day's pay back then when exactly. I was 18. <laughs> exactly. Because even when I was when I was 18 and uh, the every the the going rate was like $2.31 an hour, which which means, you know, nothing to the kids today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, 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 kids today wouldn't even get out of bed for two dollars and thirty-one cents an hour. No, no chance. <laughs> you know, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it has. There have been whirlwind changes. Some I think are, are for the better. Clearly, um, you know, some I'm not too sure. Um, 
I think we lived in more innocent times in many ways. We did. We did. And now now the, the, the big problem that we have in the States, as you probably know, is that, that uh, with the advent of the Internet and the individualization, well, and, and this podcast is part of that next wave of the individualization of media and stuff because I have a platform here. And I can do anything I choose to do with this platform. And it can be, I can be telling lies and I could be, and I would have people who, as a matter of fact, would probably be more successful if, if I were to uh, get out there and, and to tell lies about, about stuff that's going on and get real political and stuff, which I choose not to do. But uh, there's a real power in that, but it's, it's because it's the individualization of it. There's lots and lots of uh, misinformation out there and about a lot of different things and people are, are putting out stuff that they probably should not be doing uh, because they don't have the expertise and and that sort of thing so you know that's that's one of i think one of the downsides of of the social networking and and all of that because it, it can be a right, fairly negative um negative thing for if you if you're interested in in the truth don't you think well, yes, I agree, and I, I think, un unfortunately, it's one of the downsides of the the modern technology. I think what a and when I first emailed you, I think that's what I commented on. What drew me to your show was the fact that um, you were trying to keep your shows on a very positive tone and do away with a trying to help eliminate the hatred and fear that seems to be so pervasive in our society right now. And um, I commend you for doing that. And I wrote to you, and as I think I said, I'm not too sure as I'm the perfect guest for you, but I have to say, alleluia, it was a day bright enough to wake up and see that in my email that there's a show out there that's just purely dedicated to spreading positive messages or having positive guests out there. And I just think that's, it's very refreshing. Um, well, and I will tell you, uh, uh, Stephen, that you are the perfect guest for my show. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I've, I've certainly enjoyed being a guest on your show. And um, it, it is too bad. The only thing that we can say about the negative stuff that's out there, I wish it wasn't there, of course. But... We do live in a society that permits us to do it, and we have to kind of, you know, be thankful for that. Yeah. Because there's lots of countries in the world where people wouldn't be able to say what they're saying and get away with it. They just wouldn't. Exactly. Um, exactly. I had, so. I, I had to laugh because I can look at, uh, and it's amazing when when uh, um, I look at the, the statistics that uh, the show generates. I can look at the different countries in the world. As an example, the show's been downloaded in all 50 states and 45 countries in the world. Um, really? Yeah, that have down, downloaded uh, the podcast. And the other day I said, uh, um, <clears throat> and three of them are in Russia. Of course, they're in jail now for, for listening to the podcast because they can't listen to anything positive in Russia. I'm not kidding. Uh, but that was, that was my, uh, but but it's, it's it, you're right. It's everything. We, but with the technology that we have, don't you think it comes with a responsibility to do what's right? Of course. I think in everything we do, I think we've got to try and do what's right. Um, 
do the right thing. Unfortunately, doing the right thing means different things to different people. But I agree with you. Um, why put out things that are, we know that are deliberately going to antagonize other people that don't think like we do? And um, it's not so much what is said that's so important, Kevin. I don't believe. I think it's how we say things. And I hope we can get back to where we can have civil discourse in the future, um, where we can exchange ideas with people that we don't necessarily agree with. Because if we only associate with people we agree with on everything, we're never going to learn or ever going to grow. But it has to be done respectfully. And we need to start learning to show a little bit of respect and understanding for, that other people might not see things the same way. We all look at the same thing and see it differently. Look at the Middle East. You know, we've been looking at that for years and everybody sees it differently. There's still no peace. But, you know, hopefully one day it will happen hopefully so that would be great you know i i wish this is just a personal opinion of mine i wish that more kids and i'm talking when i talk about kids i'm talking about 20s to 40s uh in the in that age group would sit down with somebody like yourself who's got a tremendous amount of life experience you've seen a lot over time and you've got some sage wisdom that can be given to the kids today so that they can uh, understand the the bigger scope of things, because you 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 know what I mean. I really appreciate talking to someone like you that that has been through the wars, has been around the planet a little bit, and uh, um, the experiences that you have and the wisdom that you've gained over time is is really uh, pretty amazing. And I hope you write a book about that. Well, I I have thought about writing a book entitled Civil Discourse, whether I'll actually get around to it or not. I don't, that I don't know. I, I thank you for your kind words. And um, I, I do think throughout the world, basically people are all the same. Mm -hmm. We all get along well with each other in our communities. Why can't we just expand it? Exactly. And um, just as an example, um, just after 9-11, we were on one of the first planes out of Los Angeles International Airport. We booked to go, my business partner and myself, we booked to go to um, French Polynesia, to Tahiti. And we had a few days in Bora Bora and a few days in the very, very remote island of Tikihau. We'd never even heard of Tikihau. But it was five days after 9-11 and I still remember walking by on this little dirt road by the school. And this little girl came out. She couldn't be more than 10 or 11 years old. And she was just dressed very skimply and obviously didn't have a lot of money. She didn't even have shoes on. And she looked at us and she said, and she said in French, fortunately I can speak French, she said, are you American? And we said, yes, we are. And she put her hand over her heart and she said, our hearts are with you all for what's happened. She could have only been like 10. And I think this tiny little remote place called Tiki How, how in the world did she even know about it? I don't even know if they had TV, but they probably had radio. But this little girl said her hearts went out and, you know, she and her friends were thinking of us and we were in her prayers. And it, 
it just shows that people are, are good, basically inherently good, I believe, anyway. I agree with you 100%. We are inherently good, and if we all were to act on the goodness of our hearts and we're all to treat each other as our brothers and sisters throughout the world. You've been in over 40 countries around the world. So you've seen that we are all, I was talking with a gal uh, last week. Her name is Jennifer on a podcast. And she was talking, she was uh, talking about that. She spent time in the middle East. She spent time in Asia. And she said, you know, at the end of the day, everybody all wants the same thing. We all want to have a nice life. We want to have a good family. We want to have enough to eat. We want to be able to have a little nice lifestyle. And uh, that's really all we really want as, as, a, as a human beings. And, and if we could kind of recognize that and work towards making that happen for everyone, that, that uh, having 16 million kids in, in the United States of America go hungry is, is <laughs> I can't even believe I have to say that, um, and, and stuff. And we, we have a lot of work to do. But people like you who are putting out a positive message and stuff, that, that's, I'm so proud of. That, that I know you, and I thank you. Uh, thank you too, Kevin. It's been a real pleasure being on this program and keep up the good work with spreading that positive attitude and making people's lives a little bit better, which I believe was also in your little narrative that you sent out, trying to make people's lives a little bit better. And that's at nice least, that you do that. At least maybe they can laugh once in a while, and that would be, you know, that would be that would be good. We've been talking with Stephen Murray, uh, sir. Uh, as I like to do at the end of each podcast, I want to give you a moment. To, the, the moment is yours, sir, to tell the audience anything that you would like. Well, um, well, firstly, to to address your point about laughter, just remember the longest word in the English language is smiles because it's got a mile between the first and the last letter. So. Just remember how much a smile can make or break somebody's day. Oh, I like um, Makes the world of difference. And I think um, what I would say to people is uh, I've been truly blessed. I try and give back a lot. Um, and I think we're on this planet to make the planet a better place. We're not here for ourselves. We've got to put other people's first and... Other people take care of me. They do it all the time. They watch out for me. I, I'm not always aware of it, but I know they do. But I spend my time, I try and give for other people and do for other people and help other people. That's what we're here for. Just go out and, and give. Awesome. Again, we've been talking with uh, Stephen Murray. Go to his website, which is you. your website is? www.author. Stephen, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, dot com. And it has my email address there, and I'll be happy to hear from any of you and answer any questions you may have. My email address is right on my website. And get this book. It's Valentine's Day coming up, so um, I have book signings tomorrow night and, and Saturday night here in Las Vegas to sell my book about love yep love 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 all the way love it's a it's a great book and and one of my favorite of course my favorite band of all time all you need is love and they were, fact, they were recording that right after right no right before you moved back to england they recorded that song in 67 so 
but it was it's but it's been great fun talking to you with you sir and i appreciate it and, and uh you have yourself a wonderful day and please be safe when you go and do the book signings tomorrow night i sure will there's the it's going to be strictly enforced with the masks and the social distancing and because they can only have 25 percent of the dinner theater it's not going to be a huge crowd anyway but it'll be fun to be there and Listen to the group playing love songs, and I'll see if they play All You Need Is Love For You. That would, <laughs> that, that would be just awesome. That'd be, so hold on just a second. got to play my the, the ending, and then I would like to just talk to you real quick. So hold on. Sounds good. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.